What's going on? Welcome to the show, The Pete Callender Show. I'm Pete, just by coincidence. You can hear all of the latest episodes, as always, at thepetecallendershow.com. Go check out the website, and there are lots of links and stuff up there for all of the podcasting platforms that offer the show. And please become a subscriber to the show. Much appreciated. You can also join the Facebook group, The Pete Callender Show, where we solve all the world's problems. Uh, the show is made possible by folks like Stephen and Tavis and Jonathan and Juanita and Keith and Kim and a ton of others that have gone over to the Patreon page and uh, help support the show. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. Also, thank you to Rowena Patton uh, and her all-star powerhouse team uh, for being supporters of the program. Put her and the team to work for you. Their phone number is 333-4483. That's 828-333-4483 or mountainhomehunt.com. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they will get your house sold faster and for more money. It's what they do. They've been doing it for years. Rowena used to be in marketing, actually, before she became a real estate agent. Uh, and uh, it shows because she gets houses sold fast. Uh, and what is that except, right, marketing? Yeah, you apply the marketing principles to the real estate industry, and it's amazing how successful you can be. And she wants others to be successful, too. She actually uh, wrote a book number one best-selling book uh, about uh, her strategies to help others become as successful as she has been. So put her and the team to work for you, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. The all-star powerhouse team and Rowena Patton, the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house, and you should too. So we're going to go coronavirus-free again here, um, give you some bit of a respite, So because they're, they're, they're... there are other news stories that are occurring, like, for example, here in Asheville, the uh, first-term city councilman, V.J. Kapoor, he's done. He's done. He says he's resigning. Uh, uh, come summertime, he's moving. He and his family are moving to Philadelphia. So, uh, South Asheville, I hope you enjoyed your representation for the brief period of time you got it on city council because uh, it's no longer going to be available for you um so here is the well i shouldn't say that because the city council members that are going to name his replacement they could very well appoint somebody uh from south Asheville to fill the seat they could do that it's possible we shall see so let me read uh the statement here from councilman kapoor he said My dad traveled a lot for work when my brother and I were growing up. We were a handful for my mom as she helped us with everything from homework to tying neckties. My parents made it work, but it uh, wasn't easy on either of them, and they probably would have done it differently if they could have. I'm at the age now that my dad was when, as a kid, I really began noticing the strain that his work trips were putting on our family. I've decided to see... Sorry... He says, I've started to see similarities to the increasingly frequent travel that I've recently had to do and will continue to have to make for my own company. My six-year-old son has been asking me, with that tone in his voice, why I needed to go to Philadelphia again. We had uh, thought that as our kids got older, the travel would get easier, but the reality has been the opposite. That's why Anne and I have decided to move our family back to the Philadelphia area this summer. This has not been an easy decision for us. We will always cherish our time here in Asheville and the friendships we have formed throughout this city. This family decision requires that I resign from city council, but I will not do so until we move. 
which will be after the budget process in the summer. Under the city charter, it will be up to the remaining council members to fill my vacancy when I resign. Though it will not be my decision, I would hope very much to be replaced by someone from South Asheville. I remain convinced that every part of the city should be represented by a council member. I want to sincerely thank those of you who voted for me and supported me as a candidate uh, and, and as a council member. I realize that you may be disappointed, and I'm sorry that I'll be leaving before my full term is up in 2022. I also want to thank those of you who weren't fans of mine for providing me with differing opinions on issues. Well, you're welcome, sir. Um, you may not believe it, but I listened to what you had to say, even if I ultimately voted the other way. To city staff, you should know that I've worked with many local governments across the country, and I want Asheville residents to know how fortunate they are to have this level of talent in a city this size. I'm proud of the contributions that I uh, have helped to make on council, including advocating for long-term financial planning as part of our budget process, pushing for a focus on our neighborhoods, core city services, and appropriate pay for our employees. And before I go, I'm looking forward to finalizing the 2020 2021 city budget, which I hope will include a capital bond program and improvements to employee compensation, a tree ordinance, a noise ordinance, urban center zoning to address development, and better ethics rules. Over the next few months, I will also do everything I can to support our response to COVID-19's impact on our community. I uh, ran to ensure that all residents could go to sleep feeling safe, fed, healthy, and valued. And I will work until my last day on council to make that happen. With gratitude, VJ. Okay, <clears throat> so... First, a couple of things here. He is the only supporter of city council districts that was on council, right? He He's the only one. And he originally was opposed to the idea, but he came around to the idea after, uh, you know, reading, I guess, and listening to his opponent's arguments. And uh, when I was, you know, doing the show daily here uh, in the afternoons, we hashed all of this out. My position is that, uh, the city council districts is a good idea. I don't necessarily care so much who uh, starts them, who does it. Like I'm not, re I'm not really interested into as to the alliances that get formed in order to get it to happen. I would prefer to just see it happen, and I'm under no illusion that it means anybody other than a progressive or a liberal or a democrat's ever going to get the seat. I just think that district elections work best for representing areas of cities uh, and. Uh, making sure that they fulfill core service needs of the residents, because that's what the studies show. And if you are coming from one neighborhood and that neighborhood has a particular issue, you know, the pothole on a particular street, you're going to be more aware of that issue. And the people in your community, in your neighborhood, that they're going to run into you at the grocery store, at church, at the hardware store, you know, they're going to run into you and uh, then they'll be able to chat with you about how awful that pothole is, and you're going to find out pretty quickly what are the big issues for your area that you're representing. When you are uh, a city council that is completely made up of at-large seats, all that means is that everybody represents the whole city. And while that sounds nice, oh, we represent the whole city, you, you, you really don't, because you're still getting stopped in the stores by your neighbors. And they're telling you about the stuff that they care about. But you're not getting stopped in stores by people who live clear on the other side of the city. That's not happening. And if, well, if it does happen, it's because you're in their neighborhood, right? Or uh, you're at some event or some setting where 
it attracts people from all over the city. But in the day-to-day lives of elected representatives, you're not coming into contact with as many people from not your neighborhood as you come into contact with people who are from your neighborhood. It makes sense, right? There's this, I know there's an element of common sense about all of this, which is probably why it got such pushback from the Asheville City Council. So yeah, so they decided we're not doing these districts. Screw your districts. Uh, we're going to keep our at-large system. And Vijay Kapoor was the only one <clears throat> who said, uh, no, actually, the district idea is a pretty good one. Now that I look into it, it makes more sense. And he, he did. He flipped his position on that. Because you'll recall, when he ran, he was the person out of South Asheville that his election was supposed to shut everybody up, including state lawmakers, right? His win was supposed to shut everyone up about uh, their desire to see district elections. Because you see, somebody from South Asheville can win. He was the only, he's the first South Asheville resident to win since 2005. So more more than a decade. Now, South Asheville's pretty well populated, pretty big area. A lot of people live in there, some pretty big issues. Why, why, uh, why is there only one guy in the last almost two decades now? Right? H- how does that happen? Because the at-large system makes it easier for a smaller group of people to dictate the outcome, particularly when you stagger the elections like we have uh, seen. So he came around to this uh, idea of district elections, uh, and now he's gone. The only supporter of district elections, uh, he'll be resigning his seat come summertime. Now, according to the Citizen Times, in uh, an article by Joel Burgess, Kapoor said he did not have a definite date for his resignation, but he said he would stay on the council through the budget process. And that usually wraps up uh, uh, by July 1. They do the vote by July 1st, which is the start of the next fiscal year. And uh, I like this, uh, this sentence from the article. Some, including former councilman Gordon Smith, criticized that decision. Some criticized that decision. He names Gordon Smith. There's no direct quote. Um, I don't know, maybe he just read it on the Asheville politics page. I guess that's what happened there. Uh, some, including former Councilman Gordon Smith, criticized, why don't you say Gordon Smith, former Councilman Gordon Smith criticized that decision, saying Kapoor should vacate the seat sooner so his replacement could have input on the budget. Be- why? Why? Kapoor won the seat. Kapoor will be the city councilman for no matter how long he stays on the council. He doesn't need to resign. There's no ethical compunction to step down so someone else can do the budget. That That's absurd. So he, and Kapoor called the idea, quote, ridiculous. He pointed to two other council members who will be leaving when their terms end in December. Brian Haynes, who's not seeking re-election, because I thought, um, that the city council must be implementing some sort of uh, drug testing policy. That's the only reason I could have... Uh... Sorry, that's... <laughs> oh, yeah. So, the yes, the rim shot is back. Yeah, the rim shot is back. It's kind of low. Let's see if I can I increase the volume a little bit on it. All right, so um, it does. It makes everything sound funnier. Even when they're not jokes that are really particularly funny, they make a not funny joke sound funnier. See? Like, how do you not laugh at that? Okay. So um, Kapoor says, look, you got Brian Haynes. He's not seeking re-election, and he's going to vote on the budget. Same thing with Julie Mayfield. 
right? She's running for the state Senate, and she's going to get to vote on the budget. Why wouldn't you? The idea that, well, you're not going to be around next year, so you shouldn't be doing this budget. Well, So what, every election year we don't do budgets because, well, you might lose your re-election bid. <laughs> it's such a dumb idea that it had to come from Gordon Smith. Like, that's... Sorry, I know I'm abusing the rim shot now. I I know, I know. Okay. So Kapoor says he fully anticipates the, uh, Julie Mayfield and Brian Haynes to work on uh, the budget to uh, to participate, he says, until the day they are done. I think it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise, and I agree with him on that. Um, Burgess's article at the Citizen Times uh, says, Kapoor ran for council in 2017 and won as the top vote-getter, ugh, votainer. We got to make this word happen. I know it's hard. It's going to be harder now that I'm in the podcast space versus uh, an afternoon drive show. But still, we got to make this happen. The votainer. He was the votainer in a field of six candidates. He got 10,516 votes. That made him the first candidate to crack the 10,000 vote threshold. The first Asian American elected to the council and the first South Asheville candidate to win since 2005. On the council... Kapoor focused on fiscal issues, infrastructure, and city employee pay and benefits. Yeah, uh, nuts and bolts, the core services. That's one of the things that I always appreciated about Kapoor was that he tended to not get uh, caught up in a lot of the uh, the social justice warrior stuff. He also didn't seem to get caught up in the virtue signaling, moral preening kind of stuff. He was... Nuts and bolts. But it makes sense because in his line of work, that's what he does. He He's like a consultant. He goes into uh, municipal governments and he helps them, uh, you know, do uh, policy and, and correct mistakes and that sort of thing. He's a consultant to local governments. And so he actually has experience and expertise in the field. So, of course, we can't have him anymore. Um, <laughs> it's just, <clears throat> yeah, we're cursed, I guess, like that. Uh, he also spoke up on geographic issues, such as the siting of hotels and other development in South Asheville. While the entire council, including Kapoor, leans left, Kapoor was one of the more moderate members. Stances he took against the majority, uh, sometimes by himself, were in support of creating electoral districts for council members rather than the current at-large system, and he pushed back on some bus funding. So I think this was uh, interesting. I've got a... Uh, let me see here. There was a, a quote here from, uh, not a quote, but uh, David Forbes, who used to be a reporter at Mountain Express, <clears throat> and now he's doing his own thing at the Asheville Blade. And uh, David is, David's gone like full leftist. <laughs> like, uh, he's, he's an activist at this point, uh, which is fine. It's just uh, everything, you got to view everything and read everything through that lens. So, he says, um, he says, in the middle of all of this, talking about COVID-19, VJ Kapoor resigning this summer uh, after the budget wranglings done to move to Philadelphia. Council's most conservative member swung right wing on policing, budget, hotels, and more. Provided we're not in the middle of a Mad Max-esque future filled with dueling warlords and communes by then, the rest of council will appoint Kapoor's replacement, who will be in office until 2022. Given the rest of council's 
uh, 3-3 split between centrists and somewhat more left-leaning members should be interesting. Kapoor ran as a centrist but swung way more right-wing in office. Only one on Asheville, gov- the only one on Asheville government to publicly support a really unpopular GOP-drawn gerrymander of local elections. The gerrymander was reversed due to public outrage, leaving his prospects for re-election not great. Um, so Forbes and uh, his uh, fellow travelers over there, the Asheville Blade, they claim credit for the council's decision. And maybe they deserve it. I don't know. They they wrote a lot of, they wrote, they wrote a lot of articles about uh, the districts, and they claim them to be gerrymanders and... <laughs> I guess every district is a gerrymander, I guess. Um, but no, they're not. The the district, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to fight that fight again. It, it, it We'll see. He, he, he sees Kapoor, though, as a right winger, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> it is so, it, it really is like, you know, the concept, the Overton window, right? What's possible in politics and how it moves because the window gets shifted. It's like Bernie Sanders shifted the Overton window to the left. So you have all these people when they're when they're swimming in this this pool here in Asheville, they think that Kapoor is a right winger, (laughs) which is not the case. Um, Keith Young, city councilman who clashed with Kapoor over police transit funding and other issues said there is no guidebook to life and he prayed councilman kapoor finds the balance he seeks he says that's quite the quote isn't it he (laughs) he says there's no guidebook to life really i've heard of one i've i've actually heard of a couple really there are a couple that i'm aware of (laughs) what the heck and what's amazing is he says that there's no guidebook to life, but that he's praying Councilman Kapoor finds the balance he seeks. Well, why are you praying? To whom are you praying? Might that deity have, I don't know, worked through man to write things down so we could convey them to one another, right? <laughs> oh, goodness. City Council. It's always fun. All righty. Uh, speaking of elections, Twitter is manipulating the election. Did you know this? Um, This is the headline by Stephen L. Miller at The American Spectator. Uh, You may have seen some of his tweets if you are uh, engaged at all on the Twitter machine. He tweets under the name Red Steez. I'm not sure why, but he does. So Twitter announced last month that it's going to start flagging content that the company and moderators decide is manipulated in order to deceive users. Okay, so Twitter is saying we are going to put these warnings, these uh, these uh, notices on content. If we determine, our people determine, we think that it's been manipulated. Okay, so I don't know. I mean, I, I could see where there's a really wide lane to run in here for some particularly overzealous employees at Twitter. I could see that. Uh, the fear at the time when they made this announcement was that, of course, this is going to be applied as Twitter deemed fit and decisions would be based solely on the personal opinions of the moderator or moderators. Right. Of course it's going to be (laughs) because of course it is. Um, why would this be any different than virtually every other instance of these types of edicts, right? Like every time these social media companies make these kinds of pronouncements, we all know what happens. It's 
Right. They find a video from a conservative that is obviously doctored, you know, like the Trump head on the, uh, you know, the uh, the gladiator body or, you know, the the Trump wrestling. And they put the CNN logo over the face of, uh, you know, some wrestlers and shows Trump, you know, body slamming them. So what you got to put a, a label on that. This is a manipulated video. Thank you, Twitter. I never would have guessed. Right. Well, the fear now seems to be playing out. It's real. Twitter flagged a video clip couple of uh, weeks ago or days ago um, of Joe Biden stumbling over his words at a recent campaign rally. So Dan Scavino is Donald Trump's social media manager, and he tweeted out a clip of the speech and then Twitter flagged it as manipulated media. All right. So I have the audio. It's just there's really no video to speak of. It's just, you know, video of Biden at this rally. And you probably heard this by now. Here is the uh, clip that was sent out by Scavino. Heard this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks and the one about what we're for because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. Excuse me. We can only reelect Donald Trump. Okay, it's Joe Biden. He's stumbling. He's fumbling. It's what he does. Everybody knows this about Joe Biden, right? Not exactly groundbreaking, but a dig nonetheless. So here is Biden. Uh, fumbling around trying to figure out how to say, you know, we can't, uh, we, we can't elect, uh, reelect Donald Trump. Okay. That's the clip that got the label from Twitter that says it was manipulated. Okay. The clip was edited in a way to highlight Joe Biden's many and numerous verbal gaffes over the years and of this current campaign. What is the full clip? I have the full clip. So here is the completely unedited version. Turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for, because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. Excuse me. We can only reelect Donald Trump if, in fact, we get engaged in this circular firing squad here. It's got to be a positive campaign, so join us. Okay. And by the way, the music underneath there is from, uh, I think it's like the Washington Post fact checker website. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does make it sound, makes it sound bad. Like, I don't know, there's a sense of foreboding, right? Like, oh my gosh, something bad is going to happen here. Um, so they, so what Scavino did and what the Trump campaign did was they chopped out the last bit where he says, the only way Trump gets reelected, we got to reelect Trump or we'll reelect Trump or whatever. And he's fumbling around. He says, the only way we'll get there is if we engage in the circular firing squad. And so what they did was chop off the end and leave it up as an example of Biden fumbling and stumbling and making gaffes. That was the point of their video. But Twitter labels it manipulated. Why? Because they chopped off the end? Is that manipulation? In that case, then, any soundbite that is edited is manipulative. And as one who spent a lot of time in journalism, I can tell you, it's pretty common to edit sound bites, particularly in radio and television. <laughs> it's it's standard. Every sound bite gets edited, selectively edited. I've talked about this before. Every single time James O'Keefe puts out one of his videos and the leftists always say, oh, it's selectively edited. Every video, every audio, all of it, every clip is selectively edited. Unless you're going to tell me that people are just randomly putting you know, in point markers, out point markers, and then 
cutting everything except that and just a random clip of somebody saying something that's completely irrelevant. I don't know. Like, that's just absurd. Everything is selectively edited. What they edited out, it wasn't designed to deceive. The The, the edit that the Trump campaign did there wasn't designed to deceive, not in my opinion. It It's designed to convey that Joe Biden is a stumbling, fumbling, bumbling gaff machine. That was the part that they kept in. That's what they wanted you to see. The part where he was messing up all of these uh, sentences, right? How is it so, so how is it manipulated? Did he not say those things? Did he not make those mistakes? No, he made those mistakes. So Twitter is putting its thumb on the scale of the election by selectively labeling media that has not been manipulated. What Twitter is de facto saying here is for proper context, whole speeches and rallies must be broadcast at all times in their entirety. You can argue about the Trump campaign taking clips and uh, using them to their advantage. You can say that that's all underhanded politics, but they're not manipulating the video, right? So what, no more videos of partial quotes, right? So... So that's not going to be allowed anymore on Twitter. No more videos of just a partial quote. It has to be the whole quote. It's got to be an entire sentence with a period at the end, unless you're Joe Biden who says period and then just keeps talking. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I I don't get it. Um, I do get it. It's just, it's a verbal crutch. That's what happens. I have them. Everybody has verbal crutches. Hopefully they're not too distracting. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Twitter is making a clear pitch, says Stephen Miller at American Spectator. He says, Twitter's making a clear pitch, not to fact-check media that is spread on its platform, but to insert itself into the context and editorial process of user-posted content. Twitter has no such documented history or confidence from users that they can be trusted to editorialize fairly. I don't, you know, count me in the camp as skeptical of Twitter's ability here. Twitter's platform is um, one of rigorous and humorous debate, which often includes funny video clips or memes, which once again proves just how little the creators understand how their own product is used by actual people. It's one of the most amazing things about Twitter. If you like the show and the content that uh, that I'm doing here, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the reviews. Uh, also consider becoming a patron of the program. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com. Thank you so much for the support. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.